0: from September of 1957. The Masonic Rod. Author unknown. The first caveman who picked up a crooked stick and used it to help him walk or climb had his hands upon the original ancestor of the Masonic Rod, carried by deacons and stewards. The rod or staff became a spear, a weapon, a club. It evolved into the mace, the caduceus, the scepter and the baton. It was the forerunner of the truncheon. George Oliver, not too great in reputation now as a Masonic historian, quotes from an inventory of a lodge at Chester, England, dated 1761, which includes two truncheons for the wardens. Some symbolists have from this tried to trace the warden's columns back to the rod or staff as a symbol of authority but the general weight of opinion is against this theory. Past master Albert L. Woody, a grand lecturer in Illinois, wrote an extraordinarily fine treatise on Masonic rods, published by the Committee on Masonic Information of the Grand Lodge of the State. In it, he states, There is no evidence of the use of Masonic rods by the operative Masons, Neither is there any mention of rods used in the early table lodges, and it is doubtful if space would have permitted their use there. The first mention of Masonic rods is in a procession of Grand Lodge in 1724 in which the Grand Stewards carried white rods, symbolizing purity and innocence. As late as 1812, in Pennsylvania, the deacons in procession carried columns, the same columns which now rest on the warden's pedestals. Deacons first carried blue rods tipped with gold, symbolizing friendship and benevolence. Later, these were tipped with a pine cone, in imitation of the caduceus of Mercury, the messenger of the gods. End of quote. Rod and staff each occur more than a hundred times in the great light. Different meanings attach to the words according to their context. A biblical staff is a branch, a part of a bow, an arrow or spear, a handle, a bar, a stay, a support, or a scepter. Perhaps best known of all verses in the Bible in which both rod and staff appear, Psalm 23, in which the ending of verse 4 is, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The beginning of this song compares the Lord to a shepherd who leads his sheep to green pastures and beside the still waters. Biblical commentators make here the rod in the shepherd's hands as an iron-studded club, suitable for defense against either robbers or wild animals, and the staff, a lighter instrument, with which the shepherd beats down fallen leaves to make a bed for sheep or beats trees to make dead leaves fall. The British government has an officer called the Lord Steward an important official of the royal household, a member of the government, a peer, a privy councillor. Up to 1782, the office was one of considerable political importance and carried cabinet rank. The Lord Steward receives his appointment from the Sovereign in person and bears a white staff. He is the first dignitary of the court. In the Statutes of Eltham, he is called the Lord Great Master, but in the household book of Queen Elizabeth, the Lord Steward. He presides at the Board of Green Cloth, a committee of the king's household, charged with the audit of its accounts. The board also had power to punish all offenders within the jurisdiction of the palace. The name is derived from the green-covered table at which the transactions of the board were originally conducted. Under the Lord Steward are the Treasurer and Comptroller of the Household, usually peers, or the sons of peers and privy councillors, who sit at the board of green cloth, carry white staves, and belong to the Ministry. But the duties which in theory belong to the Lord Steward, Treasurer, and Comptroller of the Household, are in practice performed by the Master of the Household, who is a permanent officer and resides in the Palace. He is a white staff officer and a member of the board of green cloth, but not of the ministry, and among other things, he presides at the daily dinners in the suite in waiting on the sovereign. In the first formal account of a procession in the Book of Constitutions on June 24, 1724, as noted by Woody, the stewards are described as walking two and two abreast with white rods. This use of a white rod comes from the political customs of England, where the steward of the king's household was appointed by the delivery of a staff, the breaking of which dissolved the office. Thus, an old book quoted by Finn says that in the reign of Edward IV, the creation of the steward of the household only consisteth by the king's delivering to him the household staff with these words, Steward, hold the staff of mine house. When the Lord High Steward presides over the House of Lords in London at the trial of a peer, at the conclusion of the trial he breaks the white staff, which thus terminates his office. Just when the rod, staff, or spear became symbolic of authority, no one knows. The practice is older than history and is worldwide. A bundle of rods enclosing a protruding axe was carried by Roman lictors before the magistrates as a symbol of office, and authority to punish by flogging with the rods and beheading with the axe. A similar symbol, the mace, is used by the sergeant-at-arms of the United States House of Representatives to restore order, an idea borrowed from the British House of Commons. The scepter is a form of rod or staff, and its use as a symbol of kingly authority is lost in the mists of antiquity. Smaller than the verger's rod, it is larger generally, than the baton of a Masonic Lodge when carried by the Master of Ceremonies or Marshal. Kings, and therefore scepters, have rather gone out of existence, but the royal family of England possesses five scepters. These are, one, the king's royal scepter with the cross, two, the king's scepter with the dove, three, the queen's scepter with the cross, four, the queen's scepter with the dove, and five the queen's ivory rod. At the head of the king's royal scepter is the greatest diamond in the world, known as the principal star of Africa. It weighs 516 and a half carats, more than four times the weight of any other known diamond. This scepter dates from Charles II and is carried in the king's right hand at the coronation. The star of Africa diamond was introduced by Edward VII. The name of the fifth scepter, Queen's Ivory Rod, again shows the scepter and rod to be close relatives, if not brothers. The caduceus was a white wand carried by Roman heralds when they went to treat for peace. The wand in the hand of Mercury, the herald of the gods, was supposed to give sleep, wherefore Milton in Paradise Lost styles it his opiate rod. It is generally pictured with two serpents twined about it, a symbol which originated in Egypt, and, with reference to the serpents of Aesculapius, it was adopted as the badge of the Royal Army Medical Corps. So with his dread caduceus Hermes led from the dark regions of the imprisoned dead, or drove in silent shoals the lingering train to night's dull shore and Pluto's dreary reign. In Greek mythology, such a rod was carried as a badge of his office by the messenger of the gods, who was Hermes to the Greeks and Mercury to the Romans. Since Mercury was the god of commerce, his wand became the emblem of commerce, prosperity, and peace. Among the Romans, it was the badge of ambassadors. The messenger of the gods conducted the dead into the next world with the caduceus. Edmund Spencer mentioned the Caduceus in 1591, and in Troilus and Cressida, written about 1606, Shakespeare has the deformed and scurrilous Thersites pray, Mercury, lose all the serpentine craft of thy Caduceus. The serpent was sacred to Asclepios, the Greek god of medicine, and a snake coiled around a rod was his most characteristic emblem. Asclepius was worshipped under the form of a serpent. Asclepius became Asculapius to the Romans. In later mythology, Hygieia, the goddess of health, who was a daughter of Aesculapius, is often represented as bearing a serpent wand. In Exodus, the rod cast down before Pharaoh by Aaron became a serpent. Curiously, the wise men, sorcerers and magicians of Egypt, called in by Pharaoh, were able to perform the same miracles. Exodus 7:12 says, "For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents; but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods." The connection between the Masonic rod and the ancient rods' connection with the serpent is tenuous, but curiously interesting. Moses, of course, is a character in the Masonic scene. What is intriguing about this as far as Masonry is concerned is the fact that another important Masonic symbol, the point within a circle, is intimately connected with the idea of serpents. The two parallel lines which modern Masonry states represent the two holy saints John are as ancient as the rest of the symbol and originally had nothing to do with the two eminent Christian patrons of masonry. It is a pretty conception, but of course without any foundation. The Holy Saints John lived and taught many hundreds of years before any masonry existed which can justly be called by that name. If this is distasteful to those who like to believe that King Solomon was grandmaster of a grand lodge, devised the system and wrote the ritual— one must refute them with their own chronology. For both, the Holy Saints John lived long after the wise king wrought his famous fabric. The two perpendicular parallel lines are sometimes thought to have been added to the symbol of a point within a circle as a sort of diagram or typification of a lodge at its most solemn moment, the point being the brother at the altar, the circle the holy of holies, and the two lines, the brethren waiting to help bring the initiate to light. But this is obviously a mere play of fancy. The two lines, against the circle with the point, date back to an era before Solomon. On early Egyptian monuments may be found the Alpha and Omega, or symbol of God, in the center of a circle embroidered by two upright, perpendicular, parallel serpents representing the power and the wisdom of the Creator. In the Old Testament, the serpent is often described. For instance, the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field. Jesus, in Matthew 10, verse 16, said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, and harmless as doves. When the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, Numbers 21, verses 5 to 9 says, And the people spake against God, and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away these serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent out of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. End of quote. This serpent made by Moses was venerated by the Israelites. Later it received idolatrous worship. 2 Kings 18 verse 4 says, He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made John 3:14 says and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up rod and staff are almost if not quite interchangeable words all staffs are rods even if not all rods are staffs Staff is particularly connected with the idea of support. The expression, bread is the staff of life, emphasizes this. The phrase as quoted is not in the Bible, but many verses show its origin. Leviticus 26 verse 26 says, When I break your staff of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall deliver your bread again by weight and ye shall eat, and not be satisfied. Psalm 105, verse 16 reads, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He break the whole staff of bread. Ezekiel 4, verse 16 says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, behold, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with care and they shall drink water by measure, and with astonishment. In Ezekiel 5, verse 16, The Lord will increase the famine upon you, and will break your staff of bread. And trespassing grievously, then I will stretch out mine hand upon it, and will break the staff of bread thereof, and will cut off man and beast from it. Isaiah 3, verse 1, states that the Lord doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread, and the whole stay of water. Bread is the staff of life, is in the Oxford Dictionary of 1638. In 1624, Edward Winslow, in Good News from New England, referred to corn, which is the staff of life. It is curiously interesting that the name Rod is one of the common land measures still persisting in use. It came to the United States from England, in which country it has the same length as here, sixteen and one-half feet. It is at least a reasonable supposition that its origin was in some rod of authority, or is the multiple, twice or thrice, of some ancient rod of authority, either religious or sectarian. The whole history of the adoption of various weights and measures by the different peoples of the world is scattered through thousands of years and is more or less fragmentary. This bulletin is not nearly large enough to tell the whole story of rod and staff, but enough has been told to indicate that the Masonic rod, as a symbol of authority, is of great antiquity, has a most curiously interesting connection with the wisdom supposed to be in the serpent— and is not a mere piece of wood carried by Masonic officers as a decoration, but a symbol worthy of attention and deep study. This has been the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America, and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AF&AM of Minnesota, who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.